and jump on live and see if I can get anybody to have the communication. So today usually we do Spanish, but today we can talk about anything you want. In fact, I'm working on a current project here in Mexico City where I'm working with some young, um, three young um, um, street vendors who sell pastries on the street. And we're create, I created a content for them called El Politicos in which we're working on learning how to, uh, they're learning film industry, how to be in the film industry. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to do that. And they're doing very well. They are actually, uh, we had a first lesson, second lesson the other day, and where we actually uh, taught them how to use the audio part of filmmaking. Um, and then from there, we're gonna go ahead and we're going to try, yeah, Oscar, uh, I was trying to connect you in and it cut off, so I went ahead and restarted it. If you'd like to have a conversation, that'd be great. Uh, I'm talking about film industry here in Mexico City. What I'm doing, usually I do a poetry read, but uh, my professor is is having problems getting on, um, having problems getting on board. So I think that uh, that's not going to happen tonight. I'll have to communicate with her and figure out what's going on and why they uh, why it's not working. But I'm basically talking, I was just having some free-form conversation about Mexico City. And um, I actually love it here. Uh, it's a great place to be. Uh, I feel that the politics is uh, becoming extremely um, infiltrated by American politicians, uh, style politicians who want to make Mexico more um, Americanized. So we have uh, two sides of Mexico, in my opinion, right now. Uh, one side is um, the traditional older Mexico City, and then we have the newer Mexico City. Um, I was telling my mother the other day that I try to avoid going to the Americanized stores within Mexico City because they always charge you know, three-quarters of the price they do in the States. But when I walk into other places that are the more uh, traditional Mexican eateries, I, you know, I, I only pay a quarter of what I pay in the States. So I, I actually like the food better there because it's, it's, more, it's richer in my opinion. And uh, the other places seem to be a little bit more Americanized. So it's not as flavorful in many ways. But, you know, I go to both. Uh, sometimes I don't feel like spending a lot of money. I just go to where I'm more comfortable, which is the local local places. So if anybody wants to have a conversation, go ahead and I'll send me an invite and I can add you on. Um, if you want to speak Spanish, I, we can do that as well. Although my Spanish is still uh, fluid, <laughs> meaning I'm still learning. Uh, I'll definitely would have a conversation with anybody who wants to have a conversation. So please go ahead and send an invite and I will add you in. Otherwise, well, we can just have a communication and I can just keep going forward. I keep getting messages. So let's see what they're saying. Um, yeah, so definitely uh, try to bring people on board if you'd like. Uh, you know, I'd love to, love to um, have any conversation with you. Uh, we can talk about what's going on here in, in Mexico um, as far as my viewpoint. And then we can go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I like it here. I've been uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day will be my one year in Mexico City. Literally one year in Mexico City. 
Uh, we're approaching that date. And it's kind of, um, I can't believe it's been a year, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I lived in the same place. I actually extended the lease for another year. So I'm going to be here another year uh, for sure. I think I'll be here for a long time. Uh, I'm very comfortable here. Um, I like, uh, it reminds me a lot when I was a child. Uh, we used to go to Nogales a lot as I lived in Phoenix, Arizona. I grew up and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. And I actually used to go to Nogales a lot. And, I, and my mother stopped going to Nogales about 10 to 15 years ago because she said it changed drastically and it felt like she was just going to some mall in the United States. So she didn't feel any value. But now I see why. Because I see that a lot here. There's a, the Mexican politics has, has changed a lot. Uh, a lot of it was influenced by American companies. Those American companies, of course, brought the American mentality. Uh, they came for cheap labor. Uh, the biggest example I can give you is Starbucks here actually charges... 75%, 80% of the prices that they do in the United States, uh, sometimes 90% of the price that they do in the United States. But they play the employees um, basically $12 a day, U.S. So that means for four drinks, they sell three drinks, and they've paid that employee's wage. for. They made enough money to pay that employee's wage for the day. I have a problem with that, obviously, uh, because it's obviously slave labor. They know what they're doing, and they're doing it willfully. Sadly, the government in Mexico isn't doing anything to change that. In fact, it seems like the current mayor in Mexico City, her name is Scheinbaum, uh, appears to be encouraging it. And so what that means is Mexican companies are being pushed out. I, I tell everybody that you should read the book, The Push Cart Wars. It's an amazing book that was written in the 60s. And the author uh, talks about what happened in New York when the street vendors were pushed out by corporate America. Well, that's the same thing, exact same thing that's happening here today in Mexico City, where the American mostly American, corporates are coming here. They're setting up shop, the Starbucks, the Kentucky Fried Chickens, the um, many brands that are on the Zocalo here, the strip where I live. And they're, 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 they're just everywhere. And it's sad because then you don't see the local brands anymore. And what's, also, what's also sad is that you see some of the local brands that I knew existed a long time ago when I first came here eight, nine years ago, I came here to do a film. Those brands are not are now charging the same prices that the than the Starbucks is getting away with. I remember when I first got here, I went to go look to buy some tennis shoes. So I went to the store that was on the strips here. It's the strip is called Madero. And, uh, it's a beautiful strip. It, it, it walks up to the Zocalo as a beautiful building on top. It's a beautiful place. I do a lot of, if you go to my Instagram, um, Overt or, or Michael Pena Comedy, you'll actually see a lot of shots that I take there. And uh, what, what I find fascinating about that is that those stores are so overpriced now. 
I was telling you, I went to go, when I first came to Mexico City a year ago, I was telling my mother I won't buy any shoes here because the costs are the same. And she kept saying, well, what's the difference? If the costs are the same, are the same, why do you even care? And I said, mom, the problem is the cost is the same and they're paying their employees $12 a day, US. So they're charging me $70 for a pair of shoes. That's 70 US. And they're paying the people $12 US a day. So I have a moral and ethical issue with that only because clearly um, what's, what we're seeing the problem isn't. So growing up in Arizona, the Southwest, I grew up constantly coming to Mexico, to Nogales. And uh, I remember when manufacturing was here and it's not here anymore. Uh, it's moved to China, clearly. There is some manufacturing here, but East, uh, Mexico City, used, Mexico used to be the manufacturing Mecca. And I remember right before NAFTA began in the 90s, middle 90s, everybody kept saying Mexico's products are inferior. Oh, it's made in Mexico. It's not made very well. It's made in so-and-so. It's not made very well. And in, in part of Mexico, uh, it, it kept saying, make it in USA, make it in USA, which made sense. I was in the USA. But then at the same token, they were belittling, belittling Mexico's products. Well, as I got older, I started researching this and I figured out what was going on. Because, of course, growing up in Arizona, I, you know, Cesar Chavez was a big role model in most Chicanos' lives, which I am. So I was, you know, very interested in uh, his, why, what he was doing. So what I realized what he was doing was he was fighting for the migrant workers, the, the legal migrant workers, to be paid a, paid a fair wage. Which is ironic, because at the time, a lot of Republicans owned all the land, so they were paying really cheap wages. NAFTA happened. Everything went to to Asia, to South America, I mean to Asia. And lo and behold, Mexico lost its manufacturing strength. But at the same time, now 30 years later, 20-something years later since NAFTA's been enacted, Mexicans are being paid low wages. So it's kind of ironic. Instead of it being the farms in the United States with the migrant workers, those companies now mostly owned by Democrats have come to Mexico and have taken over Mexico and now are charging same slave labor wages. But unfortunately, the products are no longer coming from the United States. I mean, from Mexico, uh, now they're coming from, from China. Uh, the, the, the current president, AMLO, I understand what he's doing. He he basically decided, uh, I don't know why he decided this, but what he's doing in, in effect, I can only describe what he's doing. Uh, he's making a an agreement with all the countries below the United States. That agreement, though, is, is funny because they've invited China as their best speaker, their top speaker. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Emla, what are you doing? So, but in one hand, it's kind of like, well, do you work with the devil? Or do, you, uh, or do you pretend he doesn't exist? So in, in this case, the devil isn't China. The devil is the lack of manufacturing in, in Mexico has been, has been depleted. So that issue kind of crossed my mind. I didn't know what to think about it. But then next what happened, which is actually a good thing, is the uh, electricity, a big uh, uh, 
things that are going on in electricity. Uh, smaller cities have less gap on salaries, but you are right on the big corporations are reducing wages. Yes. See, this is a thanks, Oscar, for that question. Um, and, you know, if you want to engage in it, please, please do. But it, it's that's the corporate way, right? The corporate way clearly is to find the less labor. So, so how I got introduced into corporate America was I was working for Charles Schwab and uh, a company, a headhunter company got me and said, hey, uh, we'd like you to work for Sprint. Uh, there's some huge projects coming in the pipeline. This was right before NAFTA was enacted. And uh, it, you need to travel internationally. Could you travel internationally? Well, of course, I'm not going to say no. So I had my passport because I traveled as an athlete. So I had my passport good and good to go. So they sent me to Singapore. So I took the job. It sent me, Sprint sent me to Singapore. And now I was working in data centers in Singapore. And this is before China became world as far as the World Trade Organization. Because they weren't, they weren't before. Now, of course, Singapore was. But Singapore has a, a, a country, uh, as they, it's a communist country, but it actually has a free enterprise system. So everybody was wondering, what is China going to do when it becomes part of the WTO? How is it going to interact? Is it going to do this kind of quasi uh, two things? Well, I can't describe what they decided, but I can only tell you what they've done. Uh, in, in, in my opinion, it's just my opinion. But when I was traveling to Singapore, and then I started traveling to China and all these other countries, and I because I was traveling for a very big company called Warehouser, uh, which is actually a company that got bought. Um, Warehouser bought, not Warehouser. Warehouser is the tree company. It's another company I work for. I was working for Allied Signal. Allied Signal bought Honeywell, but kept the Honeywell name. So I was working with the VP, uh, the president, VP and president in China. For all of the pack rim, so that means all the way from from China to Canada to Australia to New Zealand. So I was the right hand man. I was running around doing all these things for them, tech wise, and setting up these data centers. Uh, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just setting it up because they told me to. But when I was there, it's fascinating because I didn't realize so many products were made in other countries, these third world countries, because the labor was cheap. So this, you know, I, was, I was naive. I didn't know this. So when I was there and building these data centers, I didn't quite understand why I was building these data centers, but I was fascinated because these were all manufacturing companies. And in fact, it was Boeing, uh, which was, you know, very huge. They were building brakes there. Allied Signal had a brake company. They had a, anyway, it doesn't really matter, but because labor is cheap. That's why. That's the bottom line. You know, then they had me go, they were going to have me go to Mexico, which I was excited about because I really wanted to come to Mexico. But then sad, they sent me to South America. So I started traveling to South America to all the plants they had in South America and setting up IT infrastructure there. But, you know, because, you know, when you're traveling like this, because the, the rule was I had to I had to be there for 10 days and I come back to the States to my family and go back. So uh, during these times, I would read a lot and I would actually walk to the city. And I started realizing a lot of the major brands, Nike, Adidas, that were being made in all these countries with cheap labor, you know, slave labor, these knockoffs were there as well. So all of this together, when I finally realized why I was in Asia, 
Uh, I was in Asia building data centers so these tech companies could send all the tech jobs to Asia. I'm a tech guy, remember? <laughs> I was building these data centers so I would lose my job ultimately. That's what happened. And I was a consultant. So I literally, uh, I figured it out. So I sold all my stocks with Sprint and I opened up these cafes in Portland and Seattle. But when I did it, I kept telling myself, what happens when there's no new customers? And I kept saying, no, truly, what happens when there are no new customers? And everybody would say to me, what do you mean there's no new customers? There's always customers. I said, no, there's rehashed customers that are not new customers. The American business system is built on constant growth. What happens if there's no constant growth? Meaning, what happens when there are no new customers? Because remember, I was in these third world countries. I was all through Brazil. I was all through all these South American countries. I was into China, Korea, you name it, I was there. And setting up IT shops. And I'm thinking, I'm setting up these IT shops because as soon as NAFTA happened, the trade embargoes and the trade, um, uh, you know, the, there was a tax when you, I forget what it's called right now, but there was a tax when you, since when you make stuff in another country, you import it back to the United States, uh, you have to pay that tax. Well, that was dropped with NAFTA. And, and it wasn't about Mexico at all. And in fact, it was Mexico that, that didn't fight to keep that there. You know, I blame Fox, but you know what? You know, Fox was just doing what he was doing. He was just making money. They, you know, they, in the deal, they got telecom and Slim became a billionaire, right? Uh, and so, you know, Fox and Slim must be friends. It's ironic that Fox, Slim, and AMLO are actually friends now, too. <laughs> anyway, I, it's, it's all a big mess of craziness, right? But every country has that, as we're finding out. Back to my story. So when I found out that I was actually creating the infrastructure that allowed all the call centers in the United States to move to Asian countries, it was because of labor, right? Any one company, labor is your biggest expense. When I own these cafes, it literally only cost me 30, 40 grand to open a cafe. But labor was my most expensive cost. So, so if I could reduce that to pennies, then that's profit, right? Because your fixed goods, all these other things. So... I came up with this theory in 2000, and I said, what happens? Well, in 2000, I came up with the theory, uh, what happens if there are no new customers? That's tech. That's based on tech. Also, a tech guy, now U.S. has a deficiency in tech labor. Well, that's from Oscar again. Yes, that is a very important issue. So what Trump did is he stopped the HB1 visas, just stopped them cold. So because I have a very long tech background, tech recruiters, even today, two to three times a week, they submit my resumes. But I know I'm never going to get the job. Uh, it's not remote. It's not any of these things. So prior to this new administration coming in, they were using me to disqualify me so they could bring people from India and different to, from China and different third, third world countries, because those customers, those, those employees would come into the United States for $30,000, dollars $50,000, where I'm a much higher priced guy. Because of my background, you know, I can ask for that. 
So even today, we come into the same problem where because the travel restrictions because of COVID, America, United States started needing more labor within the United States of a, of a high level tech like myself. But what I found was it's still hard for me to get a tech job, even though I do remote work and everybody's doing remote work. Because now I'm at that age where when I start having, as I do interviews, probably one to two interviews a, a week. Uh, and, and because I'm more fascinated. I mean, I'm doing other things with film, but I just do it because if I could get a remote job doing tech work, well, why not? You know, why not do it? But the problem I run into is that I really feel a lot of these people that are interviewing me are half my age. I don't care about that. Uh, but they look at me and they start talking about my experiences, which is why they brought me in for the interview. Well, you know, Skype the interview. But the problem was, as I start talking to them and giving them real world experiences, I think they just don't understand because they're thinking it has to be done X, Y, and Z. But in reality, it doesn't have to be done X, Y, and Z. This is how you do the project. This is how you end up making the project successful. And I give them a lots of examples. Yes. Yeah, overqualified. Um, and so I don't know if it's overqualified. I mean, Oscar, you, you're very good. You said you, they, they say it's being called overqualified. I, I, I guess that's the problem with, with my situation, I guess, at my age. Um, you know, I'm turning 60. I just turned 60, so I'm going to be 61 in September. And perhaps I am overqualified. Um, but the process is, you know, I don't know. You know, it, it, I'm a technical uh, a, a technical project program manager. And so what makes me that is I had breadth and depth. So when I hear a tech talking solutions, I understand what he's saying. But his problem or their problem is that they're, I know when they're playing with tech. So Oscar, 50 here, around 25 years experience. Yes, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, you know what's funny is technology hasn't changed that much, right? I mean... I mean, I don't think it's changed in the last 20 years. I don't know. Maybe you believe so. But but um, I remember uh, working for Charles Schwab. Um, they, we used to have these goals with these data centers. Because at Schwab, we built all these different data centers. Worked for HP, also traveled to Singapore. Oh, Singapore. Yes, I love Singapore. I have to tell you a funny Okay, let's get off track. I'll tell you this funny story of Singapore. So I was working for... Um, Allied Signal, Sprint Allied Signal, the story I told you about. Um, they immediately said, okay, can you be, uh, we need you to be in Singapore in three days because there's a critical project happening and uh, we need a project manager there that's going to work with the, C the CTO of, of South America's for Allied Signal. So he needs to talk well, he needs to know his technology because she's very smart. Uh, can you be there in two days if we send you? And I'm like, I said, yeah, I don't care about Thanksgiving, you know, so I don't care. So I, they put me on a plane and sure enough, you know, two days later, I'm in Singapore. So they bred another, there was another program manager and they brought him with me too. So we both went. When we got there, I accidentally, uh, we were sitting eating in a restaurant and uh, this lady was sitting across the way and she kept looking at us. So uh, my friend, you know, he's really flirtatious and with people. And I just, you know, I don't give a I was there to work. 
And uh, long story short, we ended up talking to her and I made her laugh. Okay. I don't remember why, but we just started, I just started being silly. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just having a fun conversation. Turns out she was the CTO. We were having this, uh, we were supposed to meet the next day. <laughs> so we had not a clue who we were talking to. I was just BSing my day and having fun. And he thought I was crazy. We didn't know who this, who this woman was. But when we left our hotel room, um, um, I, he, he, my friend said, my, the coworker said, hey, let's go out to a bar or something. So I said, okay, let me go back to my hotel. So we went to the hotel. And when I came, when I, when I went to the hotel, I thought it was strange. I said, something didn't feel right. And then we walked out. He goes, did you notice the guys following us? So what guys following us? Because these guys are following us. Just chill. Don't act weird. We're being followed. And you notice something about your, your hotel room? And I said, it seemed weird. I said, I don't know what it was when I walked in. Something seemed weird. He goes, yeah, they're following us. Uh, the Singapore people are following us. And I said, you're crazy. You're crazy. But sure enough, after a couple days, I started saying to him, I think you're right. <laughs> They're following us. And because we're in the tech sector, we're in the high-end tech sector. Did you have any experience with uh, a Singaporeans? Uh, follow? I don't know when you went. This was uh, 1999. I don't know when you went. But that's when I had the experience. Did you have any experience with that in Singapore? Other than that, I, I liked Singapore. Um, it was fun. Uh, it was the first time I, I saw lady lady friends who were actually men, and uh, but looked like women. And so my friend was pretty uh, uh, pretty um, had big eyes, and so he kept chasing the the uh, woman. And I kept saying, "Don't chase that woman. That's a man." <laughs> I said, "Unless you want a man, I don't care." But I'm just saying, if you think it's a woman, it's not. He goes, "Well, how do you know?" I said, "Because I have eyes." <laughs> And I, I can tell. Anyways, uh, but worked for HP. Yeah, I did some work for HP. Actually, I was working for, uh, no, I passed as Filipino, so I had no issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, most of those lady friends were Filipino. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just making a joke now. Uh, but it, they they were actually were. Uh, but I guess the, it was an interesting story because a local guy ended up connecting with us from the uh, from 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 Allied Signal. And he told us the stories. And uh, so, uh, so oh, went around 99. So you were there at the same time. Actually, that's when I was there. I was there all through 99 to 2000. We were actually doing the Y2K upgrade. <laughs> Y2K. Yeah, Y2K. Uh, I didn't complain. I traveled the world. Okay, I didn't complain. Uh, building data centers and doing Y2K made no sense to me. Uh, but everything worked. <laughs> I mean, I understood because these, you know, the funny thing about that was these, um, all these manufacturing companies had these old equipment, right? And we couldn't even upgrade the, the, the equipment. And I bet you today, I actually worked for a company just recently last year, or two years, before I came to Mexico. So it was last year, 2019, 20, 2019, 20, last year was 21. So 20, man, these years are going by fast. So that was 2021. I was working for uh, Lisi. It's a big manufacturing company that does screws, all the screws in the airplanes. Uh, but they have Windows 95 manufacturing machines. Windows 95. 
So they got past the Y2K. So you went to for Y2K? Who are you working for? What company? We were there for the same time. And they were using HPs. It would be a coincidence if we actually knew each other. I don't know if we know each other at that was the same time. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was doing there. Uh, we, we were working for Allied Signal through Sprint. Um, hola, ¿cómo estás? Hay una persona que dice hola. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we procured a lot, a lot, a lot of HP machines. <laughs> Lots of them. We put them in, like, there's two different data centers. They were, uh, that was back in the day when infrastructure, well, you created your own infrastructure, right? Your own data centers. I mean, I traveled for um, uh, many, many companies, and I was building data centers through their procurement systems. HP had a, an app, and you'd log in, you'd get all the machines, and you'd get all the servers, and they had a contract. I'm sure they probably, I don't know if they do that anymore, because it seems like a lot of companies are going to the cloud, like, Lisi, which is a big international company, uh, we moved everything to the cloud for them. So that they were using Amazon services and they were using a, a hybrid of Amazon uh, file servers, but using Azure for login, for uh, unified login through all their platforms. So what do you do now, Oscar? What's your, what's your uh, do you, are you retired or are you still out in the market doing jobs? You you gave a HR, um, you gave an HR record. So is that just a knowledge base that you know, or are you actually uh, engaged in that right now? Yeah. So, anyways, um, I, I I like I said. Um, I'm trying to get my language skills up so maybe I could work in Mexico, but I don't think so because the wages are really low. I'd rather work for an American company. Um, yeah, I accepted the request. It kept saying, oh, connect. Are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, well, that was strange. I don't know how to use technology. <laughs> You know, what's funny is I tease people. I said, my generation built this technology and they always look at me and they say, you're that old? I said, I'm more than that old. Amazing. And now, yeah, and now I'm living in Sonora in Hermosillo, which uh, probably you are familiar with. That. Yes, very good, very good. So you're you're you came from the same city as Del Toro. <laughs> You know, it's funny when I was traveling the world, um, the the Mexico project. I didn't get it. I mean, I was working for Ally Signal, but they sent me to South America. I was everywhere, and I kept wanting to get the Mexico one because I really wanted to get my foot inside Mexico as a as a tech worker, uh, just just so I could see the country. And so when I finally decided to come here, I actually came here eight years ago, 
And this is a funny story I'd like you to tell you, but tell you because when I came, my whole family in the United States, because I'm Mexican, I became a Mexican citizen. Um, they became, they said, oh, be careful, be careful. They're going to, you're going to get killed or something. I'm like, mom, <laughs> you're crazy. You're Mexican. Why are you saying this? You know? And so the reality was when I came here, I came to Mexico City and I fell in love with it. You know? uh, the, I, I, I tease that Mexico City is like a burrito. Mexico is like a Europe wrapped, wrapped like a burrito. Okay. <laughs> perception of uh, uh, living in Mexico is quite different for the people who hasn't been involved with Mexican culture. It, it's quite a different experience for the people that uh, even uh, have uh, uh, spent some time even, even in vacation and they realize Mexico isn't that, isn't that dangerous, isn't that uh, threatening. So uh, uh, basically the, the the experience that uh, Mexico gives to their visitors it, it, it's amazing for foreigners and and, and, uh, and they uh, basically most people that have come here to either to vacation or for work or, or, or whatever reason they fell in love with Mexico because the people because the culture because the traditions because um, uh, a lot of things and uh, most of us Mexicans have the ability to uh, uh, treat uh, aliens or, or foreigners uh, as as, uh, uh, as our own, and and, and uh, that's that's what I think is what causes uh, the most best impressions for them as as for other people. You know, it's very true. Uh, I'm very white skin, you know, but there, my mother, when I was growing up, I, my brother's a pretty dark skin. Um, she kept saying, don't worry, mijo, you know, when you go to, if you ever go to Mexico City, there's a lot of people like you. When I came to Mexico City, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people like me. Because <laughs> I'm full-blooded Mexican. I'm not white, you know. I'm full-blooded Mexican. My dad is what gave me my citizenship because he was born, he was born uh, in, um, in Nogales. But my mother's family is is always lived in New Mexico, so the, you know the history goes that they they you know my mother's abuela abuela um, she was was in Mexico when New Mexico was was part of Mexico. But the the long story short is that uh, coming here when I was a kid in Nogales, um, I, I always loved it. Um, I always because I love. Um, interesting things and i love talent so when i came to mexico city i was so impressed by the, the people bending on the streets right and so i wrote this script and uh and i put i sent it to the mexican consul and all those sort of things and they reviewed it and they rejected it though uh, and and but but the re i couldn't figure out why they rejected it. it's actually a really good script but but and i i mean this, i mean everybody thinks your script's good but but what I was, what I realized, it was the storyline. The storyline was I was giving attribution to homeless people, the the homeless, not homeless, but the street vendors, okay, on the street. And I was my my proposition was that street vendors were more free than even the United States um, because they weren't under the umbrella of corporate America, right? They were actually 
doing all the things that make uh, life work. And, and how, you know, kind of the old thing in the Bible that says, um, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not a not Christian, you know. But, but they said that if you feed, give, give a, teach a man how to fish, um, then he'll fish for the rest of his life, right? So I grew up coaching young people in the university, uh, you know, before the university. And um, I just felt these kids have more, 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 more skills. So ironically, I took these three kids that I'm actually doing this. Um, they're street vendors. And uh, uh, they sell pastries up in the streets. So I don't know why I, I end up passing by all the time. I saw them interacting with people. And one, I, the youngest one, he's 13, I call him the politician. In my mind, he's the politician because he talks to everybody. He's the one who talks to the, to the store people. He's just the politician. The middle one, who's 14, he is more quiet and, and he keeps his eyes on everything, right? He's, the, the, he's like the police type, right? Uh, and, and the other one is just crazy. He's just crazy. He's a lunatic. <laughs> okay. He's, he's, he, and, and so, so I was attracted by watching them because they made me laugh all the time, even though they even know I was watching, right? So over time I befriended them and now they're actually work. I, I, I pay them uh, three days a week to come learn film. So, uh, they, they learning film. I teach them how to do everything. It's their, this is their job. And uh, we work six to seven hours a day. And then uh, after them, I let them swim in my pool because I have a nice pl a place that has a pool. They go swim in the pool. And they've never been in pools before until I brought them there. But I was, uh, we actually happened to be in uh, um, at the, uh, um, what do you call that? Uh, Koya Khan. We were at Koya Khan practicing part of the script that we wrote because I want them to be out there and practice it as the actors, although they're doing the sound and other stuff. We were practicing in the park and the script uh, and going back and forth. And this lady walked by a few times and I thought it was kind of weird because I'm pretty eye aware of everybody. You know, I guess maybe it's I'm in a different country. So I just keep my even though I feel safe here, I just, you know, keep my eyes open. Um, and uh, so we end up going to the restaurant and lo and behold, she ended up at the restaurant. I'm like, okay, is she hitting on me? This is weird. I don't know if to talk to this lady. Long story short, she came to the table when the boys went to the bathroom and we started talking. And she totally talked to me in Spanish. She didn't speak any English. And then the, the boys came and so she started talking to the boys. And then uh, uh, after about an hour, one of the boys asked her, do you speak English? And because he sensed it. And she says, yes. And I looked at her. <laughs> So we had this long conversation and I said to her, she goes, because she was asked, she was, she was kind of quizzing the boys. And I thought it was kind of, I didn't think it was weird. I just thought, turns out she's a professor um, and she works with, with uh, you know, when they, they do all the architecture stuff, like the old stuff, and they fix it. She does that. And uh, turns out, so she knew perfect English. And then she kind of asked me why I chose these boys. And I told her, well, if you read the script, she read the script. There's a scene at the end. And the end of the script, the boys, um, um, the boys end up throwing these pastries at the cocks. And I said, the real story, I didn't put that in the script. That was unnecessary. Uh, but the real story was the cocks hit one of the boys, one of the boys there, punched him. And it was a woman cop. And... He punched her because he was she he didn't want to leave. He wanted to keep selling stuff. And I happened to be walking by, so I saw this whole thing. 
Okay, I saw the whole thing. Okay, and I, I got very upset, you know. And so that's kind of that's kind of when I decided the next day I actually went back to the boys because they decided they were going to sell no matter what. And I took them out to dinner. I said, come on with me. You know, I saw the cops come in. Come with me. We're going to have dinner. So we sat down and we fed them dinner. And then they actually asked me and I told them I do films. And then they looked on their phones and like, is this you? Oh, my God, you've done a lot of it. I said, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But uh, the next day, the older one, the 14-year-old, not the 15-year-old, the 14-year-old, came up to me and he says, can we work for you? And I was looking at them and I said, and I told this story to this lady too. I said, I looked at them and I said, you can't do anything for me. You don't know film. But then I said to myself, why not? You know what I'm, why not? Okay. Uh, write a script. It's fun for you. It gives you something to do. Have them execute it. And let's see what happens. Let's make it fun. Let's, you know, what, the, what else am I doing? Right. So I told myself, you know, okay. So we came to terms how much I would pay them. And so I said, okay, let's do this. So when I told the, the, the lady this, I said, I'll be honest with you. Um, these kids have the skills of what it takes to make it. Kids, I taught at the university, Arizona State University. Those kids are, are, are sur not even surviving right now. Later on, I have these young filmmaker friends that, you know, when I went back to, when I went to Hollywood and, uh, you know, and it doesn't matter how we became friends, but him and his girlfriend, we became really good friends and they have $300,000 of debt. So I was telling this to her, they can't survive right now. They have degree after degree after degree. They have degree in film and they can't even survive. You know, they're still living on their parents' money and they're almost hitting 30. And she says to me, quite honestly, well, you know what? I have to agree with you. She goes, these kids, they're learning skills that my kids don't know. And they actually have degrees too. And they couldn't do what these kids are doing. And I said, well, that's why I wanted to do this script. This script is, this one that they're doing right now is pretty simple. All it is is that they're trying to, uh, one boy, they're selling pastries, and they see a pretty girl walk into a cafe. One, So they bet each other. The two older boys bet each other they can get her number. So one boy goes, she rejects him. Okay. The next boy goes, she rejects him. But they each try a different trick each time to get her to talk to her, to her to talk to them. So then finally the little boy, just frustrated, just runs away. It runs over there and starts talking to her, and he says something that makes her, that gets her mad. But then when, when she gets mad, he says, oh, I just said it because I think you're really pretty. But what he says in Spanish is, uh, you look like a big fat cow. Okay. <laughs> and, and she gets mad at him and is ready to hit him, right? Because women, you don't mess with Mexican women, okay? And so here's this little kid calling her a big fat cow and she's a pretty girl. And then so she starts raising her arm. He goes, no, 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 no. I just said it because you're pretty. And then she says, well, if you think somebody's pretty, you don't call them a big fat cow. You say that they're pretty or you tell them something nice, which is what the boys did, you know. So so that's how it kind of is a callback, right? So then the boy runs away, you know, and she kind of looks away. He runs away. Then he comes back dressed up really nice and he sits down next to her and, she, and he says all the things that the other boy said that she rejected, right? So she looks at him and then she says, well, you can't even afford to buy me a coffee, even if I said yes. 
Then he opens his eyes and he runs to the boys and grabs the coin purse where they had the bet money, right? <laughs> he, sets him, he, he falls and the money flatters on the floor in front of her. And she, she reaches down to pick him up and he says, I goes, I have the money. <laughs> so she smiles, picks him up, puts him on the table. Hold on, she says. So she goes to the bathroom. So when she comes out of the bathroom, she walks out. But this little girl sits in front of him. And he's like, <laughs> I didn't want the little girl. I don't want the little girl. And so then, so then luckily though, the boys whistle because the cops are coming now, right? The cops are coming. So he knows the whistle. Like that means get out. You're going to get arrested. So he runs outside. They grab the treats and they throw the treats at the cops, right? And that's the end of the scene. But the whole point on the story is to, and, and when she read the script, she turned to the boys and she says, Oh, so this end scene, it does it have a sense of reality to you? So the boy says, yes, it actually happened. That's the only real thing about the script. So she looks at me and she's trying to understand what I'm doing, right? What I'm doing is I'm trying to instill compassion into the watchers to understand what these boys are doing. They're just young men. They're boys, right? They're just trying to live a life. They don't have a, a, a lifestyle that's normal. They come to my, I have a nice place, but they come to my apartment and they're just like, like, whoa, this is just crazy, you know? And the, the crazy boy, the, the outlandish one, he walks in and he's just like, oh my God, this is like, the, this is like heaven, you know? Like, oh, shut up, dude. <laughs> and the other boys are like, shut up, shut up, you know? And I'm just like, it's just an apartment. It doesn't mean anything to me, you know? Just, you know, we're here, let's, let's work, let's work. So probably uh, uh, what I what I take on this is that for us Mexicans, for for the people that have lived here uh, the entirety of, of our lives, uh, we have like uh, this mentality of uh, we find joy in in whatever circumstance we are, even in in even in the most uh, uh, deranged environment that we are struggling to uh to, to survive uh we find uh, uh places and things and situations and and circumstances that uh, uh that bring us joy and, and and that's and that's probably the the the, the what I understand uh, that, that your that your film is is about uh, how to find joy in, in even in the most uh, uh, difficult circumstance. And the only way you can do that sometimes in film or in a story is to instill compassion and understanding and and equalness. Oh, that's just like us, right? The the girl the girl represents somebody like like the, I've had these different girls I've. I, she has to be a particular girl. What she has to be is a girl that's out of their league, <laughs> okay? Like way out of their league. She's a sophisticado, okay? She's an aristocrat, okay? She's, she's, she's she, you know, she's a good, she's not a good girl. But she's not a bad girl. She's just, you know, a nice, wealthy girl, okay? Where the boys, they look very, they're dark-skinned, you know, they're, they're nothing like her, uh, but they still have big eyes, right? They still, they still see something that they think is pretty. And, and so that way, an American audience, a Chicano audience, an American audience could relate to these boys, right? Once you start relating to their behavior, 
then you start saying indirectly, oh, that's just like me, right? So then when she gets rejected, most men will say, oh, yeah, 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 well, yeah, good luck for trying. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, I like your attitude, but you're way out of that league. And then when the little boy who's got a crook, you know, messed up tooth and he's just a little, he's a little, he's, he's 13, but he's young, he's small and he's, you know, and, uh, but when he gets headway, right, then the audience can fall into compassion for him, right? But in the end, when she rejects him and sends the little girl, it kind of brings it back to reality. Okay, he was way out of his league. <laughs> okay, and she, and she did the motherly thing with to hook him up with somebody her age, right? I mean, his age. But he, most like most boys, because she even, the lady actually asked him, it was kind of funny. She goes, do you like older women to the teen, teen boys? And the teen boys were like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> we don't like girls our age. You know, we like the older ladies, you know, and it was funny was we were at the coffee shop the other day practicing the script and this is a different coffee shop. And because um, what I'm doing purposely is I'm rewarding them. I'm, I'm rewarding them with going to a restaurant and to eat, just to eat right normally so they can interact with each other and we interact with each other. But when we were here today, practicing we practice the sound the audio the testing they have to do all the stuff they needed to do to understand how to make it work because you know i told them the audio is very important phil if you have bad audio you lose the scene the scene could be beautiful but bad audio you have to add music and maybe the scene was important right so uh, so then i'm teaching them that so they can understand the value of what they're learning and it's a skill that they can learn you know do anywhere but they already have that skill because i was so and i told them this and we were at we were at the cafe. Oh, I was gonna say. So there was this older girl there, and they were looking at the girl, and they're like, "Did you choose that girl yet?" <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not the girl. <laughs> I said, "That's not the girl." <laughs> they're like, "Oh, come on," you know. <laughs> and they're like, "And the but the the teen, the, the lady asked the, the young boy if he liked older girls, and he was just like, <laughs> "Girls my age, I don't know." <laughs> He's not thinking about that right now, you know. He doesn't have it on his mind. But that was the best part is because to hear those stories and getting them to relate to it. But at the same token, you know, I'm trying to teach them that that because most people like I have this assistant. I, I came here eight years ago and I hired this 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 young guy and I met his family and he ended up being in the movie. And uh, how I met him was I was actually at a park here in, in the park with the statue that has this uh, naked man. I don't know, it's just right over here in Roma. And I was sitting there and this dog jumped on my lap and it was him taking his dog for a walk. And so the dog liked me. So we ended up becoming me and the friend, you know, boy, me and the dog, we were friends and I started laughing and he was trying to learn English. So we ended up becoming friends and I met his family, we went out to dinner. And then I told him I was there to do this project because it was when I first started doing film. Because I only started doing film as a tech guy, I only started doing film later. Uh, when I run out of ideas in tech, I'm like, hey, tech's getting slow. Let's do something different. Okay. So I came to, I, I, so I started doing this film with him. And now when I came back, to, that was eight years ago. So now he's 23, 24. He became my assistant for a while. For quite a few months, I hired him to be my assistant. But I felt, I, was, I felt really bad for him. And I actually had to let him go for a while. I said, you know what? You need to do what you need to do. Because unfortunately, he kind of grew up with, I want to go to the United States. I want to go to the United States. 
So he thought when he when he heard I was moving to Mexico, he was really disappointed because he thought he could use me to go to the United States, right? But I told him, United States isn't what you think it is. I said, you know, if you don't have a college degree, don't go to the United States. I told him, you need to have a college degree because otherwise you're going to work in a kitchen. And I don't want to be mean. I just said, you're just going to work in a kitchen because it's hard to get jobs without a degree. It's even hard to get jobs with a degree in the United States. So I was telling him, you know, I was trying to be a friend to him and, and, and he didn't understand this. Well, well, he was working for this tech company, a startup tech company. And when I researched the tech company, I was like, okay, you need to stop working that tech company. <laughs> they're, they're just a bad bunch of guys. They were VCs, venture capitalists, and they were just using him for cheap labor. He was working 20, you know, 20 hours a day. He was getting paid peanuts, you know, literally $12 a day. And, um, and he was doing all the work, very smart. He's very smart. So luckily, you know, with me, he got, got him enrolled into school. Um, and so at that time I said, okay, you got to decide what you're going to do. Work full time with me. You can work here with me and, um, and I'll let you do your schoolwork, do your classes. Then we'll do our stuff that we need to do. We got to stay focused. So we did. So it was it was good because for a couple of months we did some filming in different cities. I went to Zacatecas. I did this great in this this project there, and I went to um, went to uh, what's it called? Z Zacatecas. 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 I love it there. By the way, <laughs> I can't wait to go back and film there. It's such a beautiful. Sharing with you a recommendation of Zacatecas about the, uh, the mask museums. So let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me show you something. You, my friend, gave me an inspiration of a lifetime. So let me show you what happened. So, funny story. Two, 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 two. You, you, you shared that with me. I went to... Uh, I'm gonna. I'm digging this up to show you. Um, I decided that was my last day there, and I said, "Okay, what am I gonna do?" So I decided to go to Zacatecas. I mean, go to this mask. I said, "Yeah." He said, "Go to this mask museum." So I, I went to the mask museum. I spent four hours there, just, just mesmerized, just yeah. mesmerized by these masks. They just blew me away. Okay, and I don't know why I was fascinated by it. I just was fascinated by it. I walked out and I decided I wanted to do it. I wanted to do a children's picture book. Okay, and okay. so this is what I end up. Let me see if I can turn the camera. Do I turn the camera on here? Do, or how do I turn the camera? Let me see if I can turn the camera. Flip camera. See this? Yes, I do. So this is what came out of that. So I found this artist. She actually is from the Ukraine. Okay, but she's a Russian from the Ukraine. So I found this artist and I told her, I sent her all my mass pics, all of them. I had, I had thousands. In fact, right now, if you go to Google Maps, all my pictures 
are like 100,000, 300,000 views from all my pictures I took in that museum. <laughs> okay, they said, they keep sending me these crests, you have the most views of anybody from this mask museum. But I said, see these masks? I wanna do the same thing with the animals, but I want them to have not mean faces. I want them to be, not mean, but you know, dark faces. I want them to be very happy, okay? So that's where the, the monkey came from. And guess where this donkey comes from? Okay. The donkey comes from Tijuana, okay? So in Tijuana, if you go to Tijuana, there's a guy who lets you take pictures with a donkey that's painted like a zebra. Uh, let's see what you're saying. <laughs> and, and, and it's quite a uh, uh, peculiar uh, way of, of portraying a, a donkey. <laughs> So she, I said to her, I, on this particular scene, it's the, it's the sixth scene in, in the uh, book, but um, this one, I told her to put, to put hats on everybody. <laughs> I just thought it'd be funny to put hats on everybody. <laughs> but anyway, so, so the idea came from your recommendation. And when I walked out, I decided I wanted to do it, because I used to coach gymnastics. I decided I wanted to do a children's book on gymnastics using oh, to using the animals that I was so inspired by when I went to Zacatecas. Yeah. Yes, Raphael. Right, Raphael. Right. Yep. What does he do? What does he do, Raphael? I was I was amazed when I saw the Indian stuff. I was amazed by the craftsmanship of that stuff there. And then you saw the elephant, you know, because when I was in India, I bought these um, really amazing elephants and these tight, these lions and all this stuff, and I shipped them back to the United States. Um, but this stuff that I saw there when I was in in the museum, I was just like. This stuff is amazing, but it wasn't till I got to the mass that I just got so, um, I just, I had no idea of doing a gymnastics. I wasn't going to do a picture book. <laughs> no, that wasn't even in my head. <laughs> it was not even in my head. <laughs> Far from it. Hispanic history, I mean, from the uh, uh, 
uh, from the Aztecs, for the Mayans, for the Toltecs, uh, uh, for all, all the cultures have these representations of uh, stories and 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 and, and uh, that's basically what masks are used for, basically. You know, throughout Mexico, there's a. Uh, I witnessed a celebration here in the Zocolo. I want to say October, where they had these parades of these kids, all with these crazy masks on, and adults. I, I, I it was, it was, it was overload. <laughs> okay, I, I'd never seen so many masks. And I, when I went to the Max magazine, I saw a lot of the similar masks there. You know, animals with uh, animals with human faces, right? And so that's why I told her with these drawings, I said, the only human is, is me, because that's me when I was a coach when I was young. Everybody else is animals are these, I want them to have character, their faces to have expression, facial expressions of humans. But they need to be, but I want them to be animals so that but they're going to interact and, and as humans, okay? Um, and... So I was really, and I, it's funny, it was that we, some of the scenes later on uh, in the book, you actually see the parents of these animals, but they're all dressed, they're not dressed up, they're, they're animals, <laughs> okay? They're, they're not kids anymore. <laughs> they're not dressed up in human clothes or gymnastics outfits, <laughs> okay? So, and that's kind of the joke, you know, the, the running joke, that only the kids get to be humans, <laughs> When they get older, they're not human anymore. They have to work. Really? Whoa. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. If, if, if that was in, in, in October, it was in October. You know, um, in, in college, um, because yeah, I went to college for a really long time, I, I took a, um, a course and they talked about rite of passages uh, for young people and um, a, a certain rite of passages for young people, obviously in American culture is uh, graduating high school, graduating eighth grade, um, uh, going to college, getting married, um, getting a new car. These are kind of rite of, uh, rite of passages that are very common in American culture. Coming to Mexico City with that mentality, and of course we all know about the quinceanera, you know, that's a rite of passage for girls. Um, and typical that, you know, they celebrate in, in America as well. But when I started looking and seeing all the different celebrations, uh, when I start seeing the Aztec uh, influence, I see a lot of cultural acknowledgements that are teaching the people how to interact with each other understand like like for example the story with the um uh, is it Kotzotec? the snake snake and and, and uh snake and bird so, so 
It's amazing because just it's only a couple blocks from my house. Uh, the Quetzalcoatl the Museum it has a museum where the cornerstone is this snake serpent, right? Now, somebody told me to go there. I, I I don't think it was you. Somebody told me to go there from 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 TikTok. So I went there and I studied about the culture of that snake and serpent. And even that history is pretty interesting, right? Because it really embodies what you see in Mexico. What I see in Mexico is from an American eyes. Um, forget my you know, Mexican culture, my Mexican background, but from American eyes, United States, let's, let's be clear, United States eyes, <laughs> I see using the rite of passage history that teaches its people how to deal with each other. Now, I'm not saying there's not corruption in all of the, of course there is, of course there is. Um, is, there, is United States culture, uh, corruption is even showing to be worse than Mexico can ever be. Okay, I do a joke where I say, uh, if Americans stop buying Mexican drug cartel uh, drugs, then those that cartel is going to start will start selling more burritos. Okay, <laughs> so so what's what's the joke here? The joke is stop buying their drugs, okay? Because they'll start selling you more burritos because they got to survive for the family, right? They got to feed the family, they got to take care of themselves. So so. Really, when it boils down to it, I'm telling a cultural joke, right? Like, a, a, I'm, not, I'm not being mean. I'm just stating something factual, that the Mexican culture is a working culture and something that I'm proud of. You know, I, I was teasing the boys the other day because they asked me, they wanted to do more days of work. Of course they would. This is the easiest work you can get, right? <laughs> but, but, but it's better than selling pastries, right? But... A, you know, I can't do that because it's not sustainable for me because I have to work. Uh, but at the same token, uh, I want them to keep working, right? Because I, I don't want them to get, like, used to doing this kind of work because this kind of work come and goes. This is a, an opportunity for them because it's an opportunity for me too, okay? Uh, because now I can tell a story that I want to sell that Mexico's film cinema didn't want me to, didn't want them to do with. Is there, they don't want to encourage people to sell on the streets anymore, I guess. I, I don't understand it. it. It makes no sense to me. Okay, uh, And if, even the professor, the, the teacher I was talking to, um, uh, whoever she is, she teaches as well. She told me she teaches kids as well. Even she said she saw the value of them selling on the streets. And I'm saying there's more value than that, I told her. Because not only are they keeping themselves busy, Okay, what's the alternative? You got teenage boys who are doing nothing. So what are they going to do? Okay, I mean, what are they going to be attracted by? Because they're just humans, right? Because people have to make themselves do things. So I said, you know, for, for a country that's poor, it's rich in culture. It's rich in, in a work ethic and how to deal with each other as families. Uh, I constantly see... Uh, Fathers and their and, and the wives walking with their kids in the oh, here in the park Alameda Central constantly see this 
everywhere I go, you know, a, a teenage boy sitting with his dad talking. They're not arguing. They're not choosing not to be with each other. The boy doesn't look disinterested when he's talking to his dad. I see this because, remember, I coached for 20-something years, teenage kids. And I saw how I was more father than their fathers were, you know, because I listened, you know. And it, 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 for me, it makes me feel very satisfied that those same families, I see those kids now, they're in their 40s and 30s, and they have children, and I see them hug their kids. Because that's where they got it from. They didn't get it from their parent. Because I used to, oh, hug them and throw them across the gym, you know. I was, But then I started... I, what I realized without realizing it is I didn't grow up with a father. And my mother was pretty, you know, she was, she had to raise four boys. She was pretty tough. Okay. <laughs> and uh, by herself, um, what I realized when I see this happen here in Mexico, I'm like, God, is that ingrained in people's, in our, in our culture? Because I did it without realizing it. Understand? It wasn't something that I saw in my immediate family, something that I decided to do, but now I come to Mexico and I don't feel so special anymore. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's how you treat people. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, where did that come from, you know? So yeah, so I love it here because um, I, I think it is, I see, I see, um, I see what I see and what I see is family. Uh, I see people uh, laughing with each other. Before I came to Mexico, I'm gonna, I'll tell you, people used to ask me, because I traveled all over the world, they, they asked me, what was the country that I was most, uh, I found most striking of all the countries I've been to in the world? And I honestly told people all the time, India. And they said, well, why? I said, well, maybe the caste system works. And they go, what do you mean by that? I said, no, I said, maybe the caste system works because I saw poor people who were happy. How does that happen? I said, is it, I said to myself, are they happy because they've resolved that they have no other choices because they're never going to be rich, that they're just going to be happy in their poorness? If that's the case, hallelujah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I know a lot of people in the United States that aren't happy and they have everything, every privilege you can imagine, and they're not happy. So, I don't say that anymore, though. I don't say that anymore. Now I say, now I say, because now I've been to Mexico, I've been here a long time, a year, I say Mexico has that same thing that I thought was special about India. Or I'm seeing people who are working hard. I see kids, I can, I can go 100 yards from my house, outside my house, I live in a district where they have a lot of washing machine parts. It's just fascinating to me. <laughs> okay. Like they have the drum for a washing machine. That's all they sell is the drum for the washing machine. Okay. The other day I saw this boy, he's probably 13, 14, on a mill grinding some tools, some tools outside grinding the tools. And he was smiling, grinding these tools. He was making this piece. And I saw what I could tell were his parents, his father. You know, and somebody looked like could be his older brother, all talking to their own little store. And they were all working happy, just laughing. And he was working on it, looking at them, telling them something. That is lost in the United States culture. It, it, it really is lost. Because, first of all, um, I learned this the hard way. I had a friend from Uzbekistan. He wanted to 
uh, source saw blades uh, because he wanted to, he didn't want to source them in Italy anymore. So I helped him source the saw blades. I found out this was six seven years ago that there's only three places now in the world in the world that make saw blades: Germany, Italy, and now China. China only started making saw blades eight to nine years ago. That's it in the world. United States used to be a huge saw blade manufacturer. They invented the dang things. They don't sell them anymore. Yes, connect ta yep, taxes. Yep. The last 20 or 30 years has been a paradise for informality in business. So people that just set up a business on the street, they earn what they sell in the day and they are not obligated to pay any taxes or nobody or the government has no way to collect taxes from them because they they don't have records, they don't have a, a, a control way or a control system to collect them from them. So that's that's what the government is is is, is looking for a way to uh, uh, to have everybody under the same umbrella for everybody to pay taxes. No, I understand that. I'm mean, I'm mean. I'm mean about it, the subject matter. And I say mean things. I know I do. But I'm doing it as a, um, what's the alternative? What's the, what's the alternative? Is that the alternative? Because you have to realize there's always a yin and a yang, right? Understand the phrase yin and a yang. So you, you force people to pay their impuestos, okay? And you get 20 cents, okay? But the same token, you can do elect, you can transfer money in the in the bank system, and you don't get paid, you get don't get charged any taxes. So you deposit money cash to the banking system to a bank of, of fifteen hundred pesos or fifteen thousand pesos, and they're going to charge you two point five percent. Okay, so 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 you start saying, well, then you start saying, okay, wait a second. If I take pennies from the poor, is that going to finance me at this rate? Oh, there's a lot of pennies to take because there's a lot of people. But then you're not taxing the other side. So then you start saying, okay, wait a second. This isn't balancing right. So, okay, let's say that's the right way to go. 
well, we need more social programs. Well, we already learned from the United States the social programs have failed. The social programs in the United States, I'll say it again, have failed. I came from the projects in the United States. My family is very poor. But my mother refused to take food stamps, any social services. She says, no, we're going to work. So as a young kid, young kid, I was working garage sales with my mom. I was throwing circulars on the doors with my brothers, running out, hanging circulars in all the doors at 10 cents a circular that we put on a door. Okay? Little kids. Now, by doing that, she taught us how to be self-proficient. Understand? So whenever it came to a time when we had to survive, we knew how to survive. There was no question. So when you see that from a poor society viewpoint, you start saying to yourself, okay, I understand if I have a million people and I tax them 2%, I have a lot of money. I get that. Okay, but if I have one person with a lot of money and I tax them 10%, I'm just going to still have the same money. Then I say, okay, what's the social structure that's going to change those people who do want to pay their taxes? Okay. So when you start balancing all these things out, I keep saying to myself, this is the problem. Chasing the kids and, and making the kids angry and showing them there's no opportunity or that they should go work for corporate America for $12 a day, U.S., where they're charging you know, $3, $7, $4 a drink like Starbucks, that isn't the right way to go. Understand? Because you could make four, Starbucks do the right thing. Either pay fair wages if they're going to charge fair market value for, for the product. So when you start doing that, guess what? Now you're starting giving incentive, right? Giving incentive to do other things. But they're not doing that right now. And that's why I keep running into the problem. And we can spend days and days and days discussing this. But the, the reality is that families and people and, and people working basically in the streets are looking for their own opportunity. And, 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 and as you said uh, earlier, uh, and, and the way to uh, uh, to pass their, their, their time as, as happy as, 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 yes. as it can be. And, and, and the other thing is that you are right about that uh, lack of opportunity uh, mm -hmm. for either uh, the world, the country, the city, the state, but people in Mexico have, I guess, we have the ability to be quite resourceful and, and quite imaginative to find uh, uh, whatever activity that any other people need. We 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 have uh, uh, we have a solution for it. I mean, there's somebody who. Uh, as you said, sell that piece of, of, of the washing machine because somebody needs it. Yeah. <laughs> the end, right? And they know how to fix it. And they know how to fix it. And we repurpose uh, uh, things and we learn to fix things and, 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 and give new life to uh, the old products and and. and the United States is uh, throwing away uh, things that are that could be repairable, but the United States law doesn't permit 
You know, what's funny is I do this joke. <laughs> it's kind of a mean joke, but it's, it's, it's a Mexican joke where I say, um, you know, when it boils down to it, I'm not going to go, I'm never going to buy a car from a Mexican because I know they're going to duct tape everything and it's going to work. But the same token, if I'm in the desert and my car breaks and I only have duct tape, I need a fucking Mexican. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, there, there's uh, uh, some some kind of joke that an, an American goes to a, a, a paradise uh, for vacation, and he finds a man laying in a in a hammock, and and, and starts talking with this man and says, um, "What do you do? Well, I fish, and uh, what time do you fish? Well, usually two hours in the morning." And uh, I, I get uh, I cut the, the the fish for the, for for the meals for today, and and, and a little bit and, and a little bit more for for me to sell to pay other things that in, in my necessities. And and the American goes, okay. And why don't you hire another person for to help you? And 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 and, and the story goes back and forth between. The, the Icelander and, and the American, so the Icelander can grow their business and buy more mm -hmm. boats, and, 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 the, and, and the Icelander asks, and what for? And keeps asking, what for, what for? And, and the American at the end says, well, so you can retire at the age of 60, of 60 uh, spend the day in a hammock, uh, fish for, for a couple of hours, so you can have the meal for today. <laughs> See, and, and, that's what, and, and that's what the Icelander was already doing. He was already doing it. Yes, he didn't have to do this anymore. <laughs> it's nonsense. I agree. It's a great story, and it and it it's it's. Uh, but you, it goes back down to what we were saying this whole time. I would rather have young people. I understand why the other reasons do something that's productive that they could do forever then follow into a system where they don't do it and that's kind of where we are in the united states right now a lot of young people who have nothing and no opportunities and unfortunately like the teacher said they don't even have the skills even though they have the degrees to do what these kids are doing so that's the gist of it. I really enjoyed our conversation. Let's definitely have some more conversations. Um, it was fun. And um, 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 yeah, it was great. It was great chatting. <laughs> it, it was truly, it, it was truly uh, good. Sorry for my English. My English is quite Your English is great. You haven't heard my Spanish. <laughs> Whatever you want, we, we, can, we can change to, to, to Spanish. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's quite amazing for, for, for you to live in Mexico City. I haven't, I, I didn't have, uh, I, I was, uh, I was uh, as, as I said before, I was born and raised in Guadalajara, mm -hmm. second or third large city in, in, in Mexico. But um, I never thought to live in Mexico City because it's quite enormous, quite uh, big for me. And 
now I moved to an even smaller city, which is Hermosillo. Oh, Hermosillo, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's a quieter place. It's uh, a, a much smaller, a smaller place than Guadalajara. And I'm still working, finding opportunities in, in technology and in, 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 in helping companies and people. Oh, great. That's great. That's great. I mean, I, I know I, anyway, yeah, that's great. You know, technology got me to where I'm at. And, and it's great that you're, you're in a small city fishing on your hammock. So Hemmerseal is pretty close to the ocean. Yeah. That's great. Yes. That's great. To Guaymas and to uh, Bahia Aquino. And uh, even though the, the, the climate is a little bit harsh, but uh, everybody's surviving here, so it's not that bad. Well, I love, I love Mexico. And I, don't, I always wonder, I, I, I'm a little warped because, you know, I grew up, I'm Mexican, um, meaning that I grew up in the United States, you know, as a Mexican family. And now I'm coming here, and and I everything I understand everything, and 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 I love it. I love it. I'm learning. I'm learning patience. The Mexicans are teaching me patience. <laughs> Not a bad patience. Yeah, everyone does because I, I I find myself being like, okay, just calm down, Mike. Why are you so? But the American, the United States teaches you, you got to hustle, 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 right? But it's always a bad hustle. It's not a good hustle. And, uh, um, you know, it's different culture. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for chatting with me. And uh, let's definitely have some more chats. Yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing everything you shared and give me that. Now we have a picture book from it. <laughs> Don't let my mind go wild because I'm a Mexican and I'll make something. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. Well, that was an interesting, very long chat uh, with, um, his name is Oscar. He uh, follows me on Instagram and uh, all, my, all my Oscar Puertas, Oscar Puertas. And uh, he follows me and often sends me ideas of where to go. Uh, he's a local Mexican, and from, uh, born and raised, as he said, in Guadalajara. And now lives in Hermosillo, and yeah, that's great. I'm really glad I got on time. We got to talk about different things and give me their perspective, and I'm still a militant on my perspective. <laughs> okay, that's the end of the conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for sitting with you, talking about Mexico and Mexico City and life in Mexico City. Thank you. Bye-bye.